Chapter 26 is a uh, instruction uh, in conjunction with the Mishkan, with the tabernacle of the curtains, uh, which are used to divide the spaces of the tabernacle. Chapter 25, the previous chapter, that detailed the vessels of the uh, tabernacle. The vessels of the tabernacle, that is to say, inside the, the, the inner part of the tabernacle, which basically is the ark, that's found in chapter 25. There is the um, table, the shulchan, and there is the menorah, that's in verse 31 of chapter 25. Those three vessels are described in chapter 25. In chapter 26, the Torah uh, tells us about the partitions of the tabernacle. It is, in a certain sense, a peculiar way to go about uh, instructing the tabernacle. And in fact, when the tabernacle was built, the main architect, Bitzalel, builds first the partitions, the spaces, and then builds the vessels to put inside the spaces. But in the instruction of building the tabernacle, the Torah begins with the vessels, perhaps because what the Torah is interested in is the function and purpose of the tabernacle. So it begins with the vessels, which of course inside are, well, three are described. There is the ark, of course, and the table and the menorah. There's actually a fourth vessel in that space as well, but the Torah waited to chapter 29 to tell us about that, which is the incense altar. Perhaps we'll have occasion to discuss why the incense altar is delayed to chapter 29. The tabernacle, at the end of the day, one might say is constructed out of curtains. It is movable, it is portable, and it's not a house in the sense of a, of a powerful building. It's built in such a way that it's easily taken apart, moved, and put back together again. If we recall in the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7, after King David had captured Jerusalem and established his monarchy, he turned to his friend Nathan, Nathan, who was also a prophet, and he said to Nathan in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, he said, look here. I dwell in a house of cedars. Pharaoh Elohim, I'm living in a house of cedars. I have a beautiful home, a beautiful house. But as far as God's house is concerned, that is to say, the Mishkan, Pharaoh Elohim, Yoshev, Betochayiriah. I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the Lord abides in a tent. And Nathan, of course, says to David initially, God is with you, do whatever you want. David has expressed an interest in building the temple. And that night, God speaks to Nathan the prophet and says, go back to David and tell David that you're not the one who's going to build me the house. Actually, it really raises an interesting question about the Mishkan in contradistinction to the Mikdash. Which of them is the ideal and which of them is not? I think the way many of us 
I suspect, the way many of us think of it is, the Mishkan is preliminary to the, uh, to the Mikdash. Of course, we're in the desert, we're traveling towards the sacred land. So in the desert, we're constantly moving. We end up in the desert for 40 years. That wasn't the initial plan, but we do end up for 40 years, and we're traveling. So we have a Mishkan. We have a movable, a portable temple. But the goal at the end of the day was to have a permanent space, a temple, a bayit, a house, not a tent. That's one way to look at it. But another way to look at it is that actually it's, the opposite is quite true. Namely, that the ideal is to have a portable temple because... In point of fact, God cannot be restricted to any one place. It's interesting to note that, and Professor Sarna made this point, that the ark, which is the first vessel mentioned uh, in chapter 25, the first vessel the Torah singles out, you shall build the ark, that above the ark we have the cover, and then we have the kruvim, the cherubs, that adorn the top of the ark. And the question is, what do these kruvim represent? And one possibility is that the kruvim represent the idea, it's God's throne, basically, but represents the idea that the kruvim are a portable, a movable throne. They represent the idea that vayaf, the kruvim are movable, because actually God cannot be restricted to one place. So the restriction of God to one place can be seen as not ideal. Yes, it's necessary when you come into the land, for any number of reasons, to centralize. We have a centralized government, and in conjunction with that, we have a centralized religious order. But perhaps the ideal was actually the uh, Mishkan. In point of fact the one who recognized the problem with restricting God to a specific space was none other than Solomon himself, the very builder of the temple. When Solomon builds the temple, upon building the temple, the very lengthy prayer of Solomon that appears in the book of Kings, first, of, first Kings, and the theme that is repeated throughout Solomon's uh, inaugural speech, one might say, in conjunction with this Mikdash, is that actually God is not in the Mikdash. Solomon reinterprets for us what is the purpose of this Mikdash. When we think of the Mikdash or the Mishkan in the Torah, we think about a couple of things. We think about the place from which God speaks, we think about the place in which people serve. But Solomon had a very interesting point of view. For Solomon, the main purpose of the Mikdash was not the service in the temple. But the main point, says Solomon, is that the temple is the focal point of all of Israel's service, and in particular, all the prayers. When I say Israel, he didn't limit it only to Israel. It's anybody who wishes to pray to the God of Israel can pray to the God of Israel, and the prayers one might say, are collected in the temple, but the God is not in the temple. 
the God is in heaven. You will hear in heaven. So Solomon repeats that over and over again in his inaugural uh, speech upon the dedication of the uh, of his of his mikdash. So he was well aware of the problem of limiting God to a particular place. That was his way to resolve the one might say contradiction between God having a specific place and, of course, God having every place. That was Solomon's resolution. The Mishkan, though, resolves it in a different way. The Mishkan is not in any one place. The Mishkan can be any place. And in fact, the Torah emphasized later in the book of Bamidbar that where the Mishkan is, is God's decision. When the cloud lifted above the Mishkan, the ark is traveling and the people are traveling, and the Mishkan is traveling. So it's a way of emphasizing that actually God cannot be limited. So from this perspective, one might say that the Mishkan is actually the ideal, and the ark is a kind of necessary, uh, the temple is a necessary uh, concession, given the need for for centralization. I would just add one point about the Mikdash and the Mishkan, and we'll come to this later as well, and that is that we remember that after the story of the golden calf, where Moses breaks the tablets, when he breaks the tablets, the Mishkan cannot be built. The tablets are the work of God, and the Mishkan cannot be built. And the Torah says in chapter 33 that Moses took his own tent and placed it outside the camp. And God would speak to Moses outside the camp. And those who wished to seek God would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, far from the camp. That the idea of the holy space far from the people is exactly the description the Torah gives of the Mikdash in the book of Deuteronomy. In a certain sense, the Mikdash preceded the Mishkan. Before the Mishkan was actually built, Moses places his own tent outside the camp as a place to which people who are searching for God take the journey and can find God after the journey, which is part of the idea of the Mikdash. The Mishkan is a place which moves from one place to the next, does not confine God, but it also doesn't require the person to seek God or to search for God. The power of the Mikdash is it requires one to search.